Welcome to Honey Do Me. I'm Cass. I'm Emma. And this is our podcast. It is our podcast about sex, fucking, doing it, taking trucking. it from behind, jerking. Yeah. <laughs> I which, said trucking. <laughs> oh, I thought you said jerking, which is conveniently very close to my husband's name. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, my shirt today would be good for trucking. It kind yes, of it looks would. like someone who spends a lot of time in an 18 wheeler. Yeah, I thought <laughs> so it was. So does yours, wolves. actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a Paps shirt, and Emma has running horses. <laughs> I have stallions on my shirt. Oh, I apologize. Stallions. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we're just a vibe. Backstory. Just a vibe. Backstory for why I have this shirt, other than the fact that it's cool and from Amazon and $10. Um, and so a steal. Mm, uh, absolutely. We were going we were going to have a Halloween costume-themed Thanksgiving. We're very creative, our friends. It was also your birthday. <laughs> it was also my birthday. I've had a lot of funny birthday themes. Um, and I was going to be Napoleon Dynamite. So this is why I had this shirt. Well, I can tell you what I was going to be just then. looks like that. I was going to be Lizzie McGuire, yeah. <gasps> but from the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh, my movie. God. So, yeah. Oh, we'll do it again. Tragic. I know. Tragic. Emma's ex-lover got sick and we had to cancel. <laughs> that's why I broke up with him. <laughs> and that's actually the story of the breakup. <laughs> yeah. it. The timing kind of makes sense. <laughs> it kind of tracks. It's all I got. Um, it kind of tracks. You know what else tracks um, knowledge gaps from the shitty sex ed that we've had? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you follow the sex ed path from middle to high school to where we are now, um, it's fucking scary. We don't know a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue we don't know any shit, or at least <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Leaving high school. I mm -hmm. honestly don't know if I can, I know we had different sex education experiences, but I don't know if I could pick out anything that was actually correct and either would one, keep me safe or give me correct anatomy information that I could like pull mm -hmm. from that class. I just don't, I don't know. What I have since realized is I think I weaved in a lot of the sex that I got in college because I took a lot of sex education classes in college. I think I kind of just weaved that in and was like, oh, yeah, I got great sex ed. But it's like, no, <laughs> I don't think it came. Yeah, I had a, I had a really good sex ed teacher in middle school and she would let everybody submit questions in the question box and she would answer them regardless of what they were. I thought she was fucking awesome. She was fantastic. She was also pregnant the whole time. Love that for her. Um, I feel like pregnant, the pregnant teachers I've had have been like, ask me anything. Exactly. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking channeling that it. goddess mother nature energy. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was great. High school was just, yeah, I don't think we fucking learned anything. I was talking to my sister because she's in high school and in sex ed right now, or she was last year. And she was like, yeah, we learned how to, she learned something about taxes. Like they literally went over taxes and like STIs. And I don't fucking know like how. Those go hand in hand. <laughs> you know, obviously taxes and then STIs. That's um, also what I learned in my sex All of the class. shitty things. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, so I don't think it's gotten much better since then. Um Yeah. Yeah, so we wanted to fill some of those knowledge gaps because as much as we have learned through doing this podcast, I feel like there were still some like gaping holes and all of you listeners agreed and shared your own gaping holes with us. Um, <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> Different than the gaping hole that we talked about last week. And I yeah. don't want to bring that back up. I'm never going to, I'm not going to yuck your yum, man, but you're not I'm going to move on past that. <laughs> 
You're not a gaper? I'm going to jump right over that gaping hole and never look back or in. That's uh, your business. That's your business. (laughs) Business. So we have on uh, Danielle today, um, a sex educator who's just like fucking rocks it with the answers. Like you can tell she's Mm -hmm. done the fucking research. She knows what the fuck she's talking about. So yeah, she answers tons of different fucking questions, masturbation, porn, plan B, I don't know, everything. Mm -hmm. Did you already say that these are also questions that listeners wrote in? Did we already mention that? I tried to mention that. I think I did, but to make it extra clear, these are li- these are listener I questions. I, I just zoned you out. I'm not totally sure. Uh, <laughs> I uh, yeah, some some R's I think, and then also a whole bunch um, from y'all um, mm-hmm. that you still have today that are super fucking valid because Mm -hmm. I still had a bunch of questions around emergency contraception and um, I got answers that I wasn't expecting either. So yeah. Yes. Well, we'll see you on the other side of this one, Captain. Um, (laughs) Bye-bye. I was going to nay because of the shirt. I won't. I don't think I could do it. All right. See you on the other side. Go ahead. (laughs) No. Stick around for the outro and we'll try nays again. Hello, my name is Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the creator, the executive producer, and the host of the Sex Ed with DB podcast. Uh, We are a feminist podcast bringing you all the sex ed you never got through unique and entertaining storytelling centering LGBTQ and BIPOC experts. And I also have a master's of public health from Columbia University with a focus in sexuality, sexual and reproductive health. Uh, I love to sing and perform and used to be in a band. That's another combo for another time. Uh, Love chocolate and really (laughs) love Broadway musicals. So that's a little bit about me. What is your favorite Broadway musical? Oh my God. It really depends on the day. Um, I got to say rent. I feel like that's the most like nostalgic for me and I just Mm -hmm. simply know every single word. So that's probably my answer. Uh, So I've never seen, oh, I've seen, okay. I've seen Shrek on Broadway. (laughs) So have I. um, (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic musical as well. But I love rent so much and wicked. Um, Those two are probably my favorites. So I just had to ask you. So thank you. But uh, yeah. beyond all of your very fun, interesting facts about your personal interests, your career-wise, stellar. You're just doing the Lord's work out there. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I'm into it as well. I feel like it's, I don't know, pretty common today for us to like ask our friends or new people we meet, like, so what do you do? And they're like, I don't want to fucking talk about that. <laughs> um, so also, I didn't ask if I could curse on this podcast. Absolutely. But- Yes, you can. Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, But yes, I am very lucky. I really love what I do. I love my team and I love the guests and the listeners and it's just all good stuff. Amazing. Well, we want to hit a topic you already mentioned, um, sex ed. And so there's no, it's no secret that we have gotten shitty sex ed growing up, especially people who are now in like our 20s and 30s. Um, So where do you think the biggest knowledge gaps are um, from our sex ed education? (laughs) Yeah, I think that it it really depends where you grew up. Mm -hmm. But a majority of people who I speak with, at least, got pretty horrific sex education on all fronts. So it was either kind of this like, okay, it was like abstinence only or, you know, don't have sex until marriage or lies about sex and lies about masturbation and guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, there's kind of like, oh, if you were lucky, maybe in middle school, you got some puberty education, maybe you learned some anatomy and bio uh, and reproduction. Maybe you learned a little bit about STIs and about, you know, drugs and alcohol and like that, that that's pretty much it. And then on the very rare occasion, people did kind of learn about consent and about safe sex and condoms and 
queer sex. And that, again, I would say is like very, very rare. Mm -hmm. So generally for people in their 20s and 30s, they had to teach themselves stuff um, if they didn't have parents or families who wanted to talk to them. And I think like the first thing that comes to mind with what people teach themselves about is how to communicate with other people in hookups, in relationships, how to advocate for what you want in a relationship and in the bedroom, uh, and really understanding what feels good for you by yourself and with a partner. So I think like that that's kind of like one one bucket. And then another bucket that I think people are really missing out on that they kind of learn on their own is kind of around like mental health body image stuff. Like people when they're younger don't tend to have conversations with their parents or role models where they're getting told like, hey, you're beautiful the way you are. Hey, like let's think critically about the media and the messages and the bodies that we're seeing. We're not really usually getting that. And so I feel like especially with Instagram and with advertisements, it's really, really important that we are doing our own self-work on loving ourselves or around body neutrality or around just like really understanding that media bodies are not real life bodies. And, uh, you know, I, I do feel bad for young people now who don't have that sex ed. Like when I was young, that wasn't really as much of a thing on the internet. Um, and so those, those are kind of the first things that, that come to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we only missed out on like critically important life changing information, like no big deal. Just right. like the most important thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> you, the tiniest little details, I guess. We actually talked to our listeners a little bit about what some of their knowledge gaps were, and it definitely lines up with what you said, like Nobody got information on queer sex. Nobody got information on consent on their bodies other than like very dry, like this is that, this is this, which, you know, doesn't really benefit anyone. Um, So then we also collected some of their questions and we wanted to ask you those so that we can maybe start to fill some knowledge gaps. Um, And there's also some questions in here that probably wouldn't have been in middle or high school sex ed, no matter how uh, positive it was. But we're excited to get into all of it. So the first one is, does using a vibrator make it harder to orgasm without one because it feels like it does? This is a really common question. I think a lot of people may have this general sense that if you're used to using a vibrator, depending on the vibrator, it can make you come quite quickly within 30 seconds, within a couple minutes. Whereas when you're using your hand or if someone else is trying to give you an orgasm, maybe it will take a little bit longer. I do think that this really depends on the person. Some people have no problem making themselves orgasm with their hand uh, just as well as they don't with a vibrator. But I could imagine some people, if you know most of the time you're using a vibrator and then you're switching once in a while to your hand, it could take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who's bothered by that, uh, then make sure your vibrators are charged um, <laughs> if you don't really want to wait that long. But at the same time, maybe it's just a different framework of thinking, oh, maybe I can engage with sex with myself or with a partner in a different way rather than just expect X, Y, and Z to happen. So I do think, though, there is – I just want to dispel a general myth that, oh, like – orgasming with a vibrator is bad for you or, you know, it's going to make it so you can't orgasm without it. And I just want to dispel that because that's definitely not true. Uh, Many people use vibrators to reach orgasm, even with sex with their partner. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, if you're knowing that that's really good for you and it feels good, then why mess with the formula? Keep Mm -hmm. on keeping on. Mm -hmm. I love that response because as as we were asking this question, Cass, uh, it like the thought in my head was like, so what kind of, um, cause I'm not someone that's ever going to throw away or burn my vibrators. They are my children in a w- sure, way, sure. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're a part of me <laughs> in a non creepy way. way. <laughs> but 
so in my head, it's kind of like, so what if it does take longer now with my hand? Because I love the sensation of using toys with myself, with partners. And so I think I'm okay with there being like different levels of how long it might take me uh, if I'm using just like different tools, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. If I know what's good, mm -hmm. it's going to take me longer in other situations if it's not as good. Yeah. Or if it's not as intense, mm -hmm. oh, this is a personal add-on to that. Sure. Um, I guess it's in the same kind of realm, but I noticed that with certain toys, I'll need to like up the settings eventually. You know what I mean? Like on my like clit sucking toys, like if I start out at a two, when I first got it, that was <laughs> mind blowing. And now I'm like, okay, let's Maybe turn up the volume. I can like, mess let's go. Out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For and sure. now I'm a little higher than that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Is there anything wrong with that? I don't. I really okay. don't think so. I think like the general rule of thumb is kind of like if you're not feeling any pain, if you're not feeling like you know any physical like negative effects of using your vibrator. Um, if you you know when we talk about pornography a little later on, we can touch on this. No pun intended uh, <laughs> as well. But I think that you know, there are some important things to consider if you're like, am I masturbating too much? There are some like signals of that, which we could get into. But if you're just kind of a, a masturbator and you feel healthy and good about your amount that you're masturbating and you're not causing yourself any physical or mental or emotional pain, then like do whatever settings you want. Like it's totally, it's totally up to you and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, good. Hell yeah. Good on us then, Cass. Well, then yeah. let's yeah. Let's also touch on then um, too much masturbation <laughs> since you brought it up. Um, there sure. is there is such a thing, and there is problems at some point. <laughs> I'd love to get into it. Good cue. Good follow up. <laughs> yeah. Asking for a friend. Yeah. Uh, I think the the idea when we talk about you know what does it look like to be masturbating too much? There are a couple of questions to ask yourself. First and foremost. Am I masturbating and it and is it taking over daily responsibilities such as work, school, uh, care, like care, caring for children, etc.? You know, are there things that I'm missing out on in order to masturbate? If the answer is no, you know, you're you're not missing out on daily responsibilities. Move on to the next question. Again, are you causing yourself any pain? Like, are you hurting yourself while you're doing it? The answer is no. Move on to the next one. Are you making anyone around you uncomfortable? Like, are you masturbating in the privacy of your own home? This is a hard one for people who have roommates, right? Who have who live with other people. Like, it's kind of like a more fun version of going to the bathroom. Like, we usually don't go to the bathroom in front of other people. So if you're able to, you know, get a waterproof toy and do it in the shower, like, you know, kill two birds with one stone, uh, as long as you're not making anyone else, you know, uncomfortable, move on to the next question. Are you feeling immense guilt, shame, or negative mental health consequences because of this? This is a tricky one, right? Because a lot of us have grown up either religious in some capacity or with the idea, especially for cis women, that masturbating is gross and you're weird if you do it, especially if you're a girl. Uh, and the idea is like, okay, let's maybe go beyond that and like work to unlearn some of those things. Is that shame just related to kind of where we were when we were growing up and related to that kind of understanding? Or is there kind of something new? Like maybe it's important to unpack that with a sex therapist or a mental health therapist or a doctor, right? Or a medical professional. Mm -hmm. But if your answer to all those questions is no, even if you masturbate every day or multiple times a day, but you're not feeling like it's a bad thing. It's just a healthy thing that you want to do. Go to town is usually <laughs> what I say. Uh, and I, of course, am not a medical professional. I'm a sex educator who's a public health expert through my degree, but that doesn't mean that I know you, listener, intimately like you know yourself. So always check with your health team, with your therapist, with your care team, your partner, your friends, and get their perspective too, because there might be something that we're not hitting on here. And it's important that you know what's best for yourself. Mm -hmm. Those are great questions. Yeah. So are some bodies just more sensitive to stimulation? So like some people wouldn't be able to masturbate as much because they're more sensitive and like it would start to hurt at a certain point and other people are just like whacking it. Breadth of ability. <laughs> 
It, it really depends too. Yeah. Like what your body parts are like penis owners might have a different, different experience with masturbating compared with, uh, people with vulvas. I mean, I think like if you're someone with a vulva or, you know, someone with a uterus and you're more prone to UTIs, right? Like the urethra is very anatomically close to the vagina. So if you're someone who's kind of diddling around down there, for lack of a better phrase, uh, you can get bacteria around or in the urethra that can cause pain for a UTI. Um, you know, if you're not using enough lube or if you're causing, you know, too much kind of, uh, pushing with like a toy or a hand on your clitoris. There's sensi- there could be sensitivity there, uh, depending on the pressure, depending on like the type of sensitivity or sensation that you're feeling when you're masturbating. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of things that could be happening. So really just like listen to your body. If you're like feeling any pain at mm-hmm. all, just stop what you're doing. Take a break, maybe for the day, maybe for the week, depending on what your body is telling you. And if it persists, definitely go see a doctor because there might be an infection, there might be something going on. So you want to make sure that you're getting ahead of it. Mm-hmm. That checks out. Um, yeah. On a slightly more like sex education page, I feel like sex shame, at least for me, it started with thinking that I started masturbating too young um, and not getting talked to about masturbation and masturbation practices. So do you, one, know the average age that we start masturbating or start thinking about it? And two, how early do you think it should be talked about either in the home or in schools? So there is research that toddlers, babies are touching their genitals and don't know what that means, don't speak yet, you know, but there that is happening. Like most people touch their genitals at some point (laughs) very early on in their lives. In terms of the average age, I don't know that stat off the top of my head and I'm not sure what that would look like. Like how would we get that information as well? (laughs) I mean, it would be self-reported, which a lot of some of the, you know, some of this data are, but I think in terms of how early we can and should be speaking to our kids about this, uh, folks from the puberty podcast, uh, the hosts of the puberty podcast are parents and they talk a lot about the ways in which to talk about all kinds of sex ed topics with their kids and other kids that they, you know, parents are listening. So they, they chat about that. And I don't have kids yet, but I teach in the classroom, but it was helpful to kind of hear from them how they approach something like this. Mm -hmm. And they say like, you know, if your kid asks a question about something, answer it honestly and try to figure out exactly why they're asking it. So if a kid, is, if you're noticing your kid is masturbating or you're you're seeing that your kid is masturbating, even as early as say, you know, like four, five, six, seven, however old, um, doesn't mean that they will for sure, but that definitely does happen for, for some kids. Maybe you could start as a, as a parent or a caregiver asking like, Hey, what, what are you doing? Does that feel good? You know, considering just asking them a question about their experience doing that. And if they don't, if you ask in a way that's curious without any shame or without any, you know, precursor to that, if your kid answers, or maybe they're embarrassed and they say nothing, you know, maybe they don't want to talk about it. But it is your job as a parent or caregiver to say, hey, I just want to let you know what you're doing is totally normal. And it's really important that you do that in the privacy of your own bedroom, you know? And if you have any questions about it, I'm here if you want to ask. Mm -hmm. Like, be really open, really honest. Tell them that it's perfectly okay and healthy to do what they're doing. Maybe they don't want to talk to you about it more, but at least you put it out there for them. Mm -hmm. And that way, if they do want to ask you questions or they are curious about it, they feel like that door might be open to talk to them about that. Mm -hmm. Um, If they ask you, like if they find out about it, about like, oh, what is this? What, What does masturbate mean? What does touch myself mean? You know, maybe they hear things from their friends at school or from something they see on TV or something, you know? You can answer honestly. Touching yourself or masturbation is when someone usually touches their own genitals and they do that because it feels good and it's totally normal and totally healthy as long as we're doing it in the privacy of our own home. Mm-hmm. 
Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code DEWME for 10% off. You should write a book. <laughs> there you go. That's the whole there fucking are many, pamphlet. Many books, many books out there. I definitely like learned that kind of like straight honesty and like parents fuck up, right? Like yeah. caregivers fuck up that there's that maybe there's nerves. Maybe we say something we don't want to. And there's always room later in the day or the next day or the next week to say, Hey, I didn't really handle that conversation about that as well as I could. Can you give me another chance and just kind of see what your kid says? Because there are so many moments like this and not all of them are going to go how you expect them to. Mm-hmm. So humility and telling your kid also like, hey, I'm not sure about the answer to that, but I'm going to do some research and I'm going to get back to you and we can learn about it together. Yeah. Um, Because I think there's this expectation that parents just know everything and they don't and right. that's okay too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like as a parent, I also – and I, I'm not one, but I just don't know if I'll have the energy to make up a story. <laughs> like, I think straightforward might be my only energetic option, <laughs> you know? And so <laughs> I appreciate more tools to understand how to communicate straightforward in like an educational and acceptance type of way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just not masturbation in school for me was kind of talked about as like, and if you start getting interested in sex, you might masturbate. And it was just such like a this like you might do it and you like, might die. Yeah, you that's know, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there was just never a healthy conversation wrapped up around it being like normal, at least for me. Totally. Yeah. And that's a lot of people's experience, which like mm-hmm. really sucks, because if you think about it, the best way for people to know what they like in and out of a relationship and for their body is through masturbation. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about it because of the way that they were taught about it. And so the more that we can break that cycle, the more likely people are going to be to have open and honest conversations about it. Yeah, absolutely. In a slightly different direction from kids, um, Plan B. Sure, the anti-kid. The anti-kid. Yes. (laughs) How many Plan Bs are too many Plan Bs? Have you guys seen that thing on TikTok where it's like what I ate as a kid and survived? Someone did that with Plan B, and I thought that was fucking hilarious. (laughs) I did see that. That was very good. Very good use of that trend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about how, first, how Plan B is actually the third most effective form of emergency contraception. Mm -hmm. So let's go through that, and then we'll kind of talk through, like, why it's important to know that. Yes, please. So number one, the most effective form of emergency contraception is actually a copper IUD. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that super accessible to be going to... uh, healthcare provider and knocking on the door and being like, give me a copper IUD. I just had unprotected sex and I need it within five days. Like maybe not. Um, Hopefully you live in a place listener where you can call up your local Planned Parenthood. And if that's the right option for you, you can see if you can make an appointment. But the second most effective 
option when it comes to emergency contraception is actually a pill that needs to be prescribed by a healthcare provider called ELLA, E-L-L-A. And it is most effective for people up to, I believe it's 195 pounds. And uh, the average person with a uterus or woman identifying person is below that. I believe they're around, it's around like 170 roughly is the average. And the reason why plan B is the third most effective option is because it is recommended and most effective for people under 165 pounds. So it becomes less effective um, as an option. I believe it's only 89% effective roughly with perfect use. Um, Actually, can I fact check myself really quickly? Okay. So plan B can lower your chances of getting pregnant by actually 75 to 89%. So big range there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it it really depends on when you take it. It works best when you take it within three days after unprotected sex, but can be taken within five days. Uh, but it should be taken ASAP right after unprotected sex happens. Mm-hmm. And the reason why plan B needs to be talked about is because it's the most accessible form of emergency contraception. Right. You can go to your local Walmart, Rite Aid, CVS, buy plan B um, for around 50 bucks or less in some cases. And there are also other like plan B alternatives kind of popping up. You can actually also buy a generic version of plan B on Amazon for cheaper um, there's also another one called Julie, J-U-L-I-E, that recently popped up, a new kind of Gen Z like emergency contraception brand. And then back to Ella really quickly. So Ella, as I mentioned, works best for people under 195 pounds, but can lower your chances of getting pregnant by 85%. Mm-hmm. So it is a little bit more uh, effective roughly uh, than plan B, partly I think because of the weight inclusiveness and partly just because it's a more effective pill. Mm -hmm. Um, And it works best when you take it within five days after unprotected sex. Mm -hmm. And so a copper IUD can lower your chance of getting pregnant by 99.999%. As an emergency use, like getting it put in after you think you've gotten Within five days, yeah. A couple caveats. Uh One, emergency contraception does not work if you have already ovulated, meaning if the egg has already been released from the ovary, it will not prevent ovulation because you have already ovulated. It works if you have not ovulated yet because it delays or prevents ovulation. So it's really important that we know like how the body works and it's really hard to predict when we're ovulating because if you don't have a regular cycle or even if you do, um, you can roughly be ovulating between like day four or between day 10 and 14 of your cycle, but not everyone ovulates around that time. And so it's really, really tough to predict when you're ovulating. Um, but the thing going back to the copper IUD If you get the copper IUD inserted and decide that that's the most effective form of emergency contraception, that's what you want, and you get access to that, you can leave it in there for up to 12 years, and it works as birth control. Mm -hmm. So pretty good to be able to to knock both of those out if you're considering getting one of those. Um, I believe the hormonal IUD can also work as emergency contraception, but there's more kind of information on the copper IUD. To the original question, which is, how many plan Bs do you take? Um, There's no evidence that taking more than one plan B becomes more effective. It's just more important for us to know this whole weight inclusiveness. Because before I really started doing research on this, I didn't realize how shitty it was that the most accessible form of emergency contraception, which is plan B, can only work for people best who are under 165 pounds. And as we mentioned, most people or the average isn't. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you should still take it. It just becomes less effective the more weight that you are. Mm -hmm. That is really shitty. And also that's not something that's discussed when, uh, I mean, not that a lot of the times you're in class and people are talking about plan B, but the actual like weight limit of how effective things could be 
never brought up. It's like, take it within five hours and then you'll be fine. And it's just like, okay, but what about everything else that makes this actually effective and work for me? And um, is there a too young to take plan B? Mm, No. I mean, I think like if you're someone who has unprotected sex, you should feel confident and comfortable if your decision is to take emergency contraception and you are not prepared to have a baby, uh, essentially. And I think it's equal as important to discuss the fact that plan B and emergency contraception never replace abortion access. They're all, it's an all-inclusive thing of we need emergency contraception. We need birth control. We need abortion access. We need self-managed abortion. You know, I think that there's a conversation that always needs to be had around well, if people had plan B, then we wouldn't need access to abortion. It's like, no, that's actually not true. Uh, Everyone deserves uh, to make the reproductive health decisions that are best for them. Mm -hmm. And having access to one does not equal the need to not have access to another. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if you are taking like one plan B a week, which would be expensive, but is that okay? <laughs> is that going to have any adverse health effects? Or if that's what you're choosing to do, works for you? If if you're somebody who feels like you don't like using contraception, such as condoms, um, I think it's important to think through, is there a contraception option out there that will meet my needs, that will allow me to not have to consider taking uh, plan B more than an emergency. Because if you're talking about a weekly thing, if you're having a weekly meeting, that's not necessarily an emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's important if that person wants to have sex with somebody that they chat with their healthcare provider to say, hey, these are my needs. This is what I'm looking for. uh, And consider what options for contraception might be better for Mm -hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I love the sentence of these are my needs when communicating with your healthcare provider because how often are we given the opportunity to express needs with like a doctor, you know, especially when we're talking about sex. It's like it's so often it feels like the other way around of like this is how you will be treated in a medical field and your needs and preferences just don't have room in here, you know, so that was a – That sentence in and of itself, I think, was very important to highlight. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And if you're somebody who isn't sure about all the birth control options out there, I highly recommend you just Google Planned Parenthood birth control, Mm -hmm. and they have a really, really amazing menu of all different kinds of birth control options and all of the potential side effects, uh, what you might be looking for when you're looking for birth control, and then they kind of match you with what they think based on your answers. Mm-hmm. Didn't we have another site? I'm trying to remember the name when we interviewed. I, know, um, I remember it too. Gen- uh, Dr. No. Jennifer Lincoln. We have a full episode yeah. on oh, birth yeah. control and then we talk about resources in that one as well. So that's a good mm-hmm. one to go to yeah. if you want. Yeah. More One more question on plan B that this person had is, does anyone else get dry after taking it? And I'm yeah, assuming so they mean their of- vagina. <laughs> Yes, I assumed that as well. Um, I did a little bit of research on like some of the more common side effects of Plan B, and it sounds like some of those side effects could be uh, getting your period at a different time from what you're used to. It could be earlier, later, heavier, lighter, more spotty, or it could be the same as it normally is. And some of the other side effects that I'm reading about on Planned Parenthood's website is headache, upset stomach, lightheaded or dizzy, tender breasts, um, and just a note that if you throw up within two hours of taking the pill, it won't work and you'll need to take it again. Um, I didn't really see anything about vaginal dryness in here. So if that's something that you want to chat with your healthcare provider about, that's probably the best thing. Uh, people do get vaginal dryness for sure from hormonal birth control. Um, so it's it's possible that someone would be feeling that, but it's, it's not really listed as a common side effect. So I think it's important to talk to a doctor. Mm-hmm. That feels fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, switching to porn. I guess there was no easy transition to that topic. Um, so I'm just going to right just go right in. Um, another question we got is my partner watches a lot of porn. So how to keep things spicy when porn feels like the easy way out? And what I'm assuming this means is either porn to get them in the mood or porn to masturbate to. What, did, what was your interpretation, Cass? My interpretation was their partner watches a lot of porn, and so they're just kind of wondering how to navigate sex what with their partner. Mm -hmm. And then also, mm -hmm. yeah, how to keep things interesting when the things that they're watching are likely far more interesting, so to speak, than maybe what this person is interested in doing with their mm -hmm. partner. Yeah. So first and foremost, I think it's really important that in a two-partner relationship like this, each partner needs to get on the same page with each other, right? Like this person who wrote the question in, does your partner know how you feel about their porn usage? And if not, I think it's important to set aside a time to chat with your partner and say, hey, I really want to talk about intimacy and our sex life. And I feel blank when it feels like you're watching X amount of porn. Like, I don't know, I'm not in your brain. So however you're feeling, maybe think about that. Is it, does it bother you because of the type of porn? Does it bother you the amount? Does it bother you that they can't not use porn during sex? Like whatever that is, it's really, really important that you get that clarity and share your feelings with your partner. And ideally your partner will respond in a way that's like, hey, this is how I'm willing and able to kind of shift my behavior around that or here's how we can enjoy this porn together or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because for to me, what's behind this question when a lot is capitalized is maybe you're uncomfortable with the amount of porn usage. And I just want to say like this can be an issue for some people. I think like the, the idea that they refuse or don't want to have sex without porn or they feel more comfortable using porn. And I just think it's important to chat with a professional if that's kind of the case. Like again, sex therapist, mental health therapist to really just understand what's behind the usage and if it's something that's like a nice to have or a need to have and how that affects you as their partner. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, you know, say say you chat with your partner and they're totally open to not using porn, right? Say they're like, hey, like, I didn't know that's how you felt. Like, let's try without. And the second part of this question is how do we keep things spicy? I think the idea that there are so many types of fantasies and so many types of power play, BDSM, you know, if there's kinks, if there's fetishes, if you have a certain kind of erotica or a certain type of you know, uh, porn that you want to bring into the bedroom, you know, the, the sky is the limit here with like the amount of ways in which to engage in sexual activity. There's a lot of toys, a lot of accessories, different kinds of lube that you can bring in, uh, different places around the house that you can have sex, uh, different music that you can put on different ways to have foreplay, have candles, massage. There's so many different kinds of things. And so I think I would first have another conversation with your partner and say like, hey, how do you feel about our sex life? How do you want to make things a little bit more fun and a little sillier or edgier or sexier uh, and see what they're open to? Um, there are some like pretty great quizzes out there. I would recommend checking out o.school um, and just going and seeing, you know, they have kind of like an orgasm order form, which is kind of like, oh, this is how like fast or slow I want you to touch me. And this is where, where I want you to touch me. And this is what I want you to use to touch me. And that could be a fun way to kind of shift things and change things up depending on the mood. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think like overall, this question to me really boils down to communication mm -hmm. and to getting on the same page with your partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is I love that order form. I know. Oh my God. I think it can start to feel really scary to feel like you are in competition with porn because, and mm. I, this, I'm saying this from a totally like non self deprecating place, but like I can never compete with porn. Like I, there will always be somebody who is closer to the beauty standard with bigger boobs, with, you know, who's willing to do more stuff. And that's not a problem my partner and I have. And there have been times in my relationship where I like, 
think about it and I'm like, fuck, like I, I, I'm not hurt. Like I will never be a porn star. Um, so I think it's, it does start to feel really scary when you start to compare yourself to people who it's their literal profession to be amazing right. at sex and to put on a fucking show. Like mm. I'm not good at putting on a show in any scenario, <laughs> except for a podcast show. But <laughs> apparently, yeah. But yeah, oh, for I, this one. <laughs> except for this. I just think it feels really overwhelming. But I think we've talked about porn before a lot on the podcast. And I feel like at this point where I'm at is I've detached myself from it. Like I'm okay with my partner watching porn. We've talked a lot about it. And I just, I don't compare myself to it because it's a completely different experience. And like our relationship is separate from his relationship with himself. <laughs> that That's so true. I, I like that last part that you said about really honoring this relationship that each of us have to our own sexuality independent of anybody else. And I think the more that we give credence to that and really honor that, the better. And you make a really good point, like adult film stars and people who do porn are literally chosen to do that for their bodies and for what they look like and what they're able to do and the amount of anal they're able to do. And like, the, like you would never compare yourself to like a professional dancer. Like why would you compare yourself to a porn actress or a person who's a performer? And you know, like the average penis length is in the U S I think is like between like 5.1 and 5.5 inches but the average porn penis is something like seven or eight inches. So it's kind of like, okay, like clearly these penises are long and intentionally chosen to do the, these performances. And, you know, the, they're professionals. Like we, we should mm -hmm. leave, you know, the professional sex to the professionals mm -hmm. and really understand the difference between sex in porn and sex in real life. And as long as we know that like we're watching a performance, like it can be used to our advantage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get the most jealous of flexibility because <laughs> I am so not flexible that when I see the different moves, I'm like, I will never do that. My ACL replaced knee will never be able to bounce like that. And I, I have to accept that, you know, and, and so do I mean, they. It's okay. Um, if you feel like you're in a relationship where your porn interests differ so much that you feel like it's a red flag, what would you say to that? Can you give me maybe a couple examples of like what kind of porn is being watched? Maybe like one person is super into your like typical vanilla porn where it's like missionary on a bed and then another person is into like consensual non-consent type of porn and something that's a little rougher. It's a little more kinky. And you either feel like that means you're in incompatible or you feel uncomfortable because you feel like you maybe have different sex interests. Like, I guess going from there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a difference between someone who is, you know, looking up like intentionally non-consensual porn or non-ethical porn or porn that makes you feel uncomfortable because you know for sure that it crosses some sort of line. I'll let you be the judge of that. Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between that overtness and something that's a little kinky and a little different and maybe has a fetish that you're not used to. I think fantasy and the way that we relate to kinks and fetishes and power and different kinds of things, it doesn't necessarily need to be explained. Like a lot of these things come from like images and messaging that we receive that when we were young, that kind of like transform into our like thoughts, feelings, fantasies as adults. Mm -hmm. And so it's really challenging and not necessary always to really like judge another person for their fantasy because as we just said, you know, they're entitled to that. Like maybe that fantasy allows them to feel whole and like they're satisfying something that they don't necessarily want or need to satisfy with you as their partner. And we need to be okay with letting people do something, even if we find it different and strange. Uh, again, as long as it's not 
a red flag for you and something very overt that you know that they've crossed a line and maybe you're not sure and maybe there's room for a conversation or maybe there's room to kind of like do a little research or kind of listen to some podcasts about it and see what other people think about or what experts think about it. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there needs to be a little room for us to be a little uncomfortable with certain kinks and fetishes that maybe we don't relate to. Mm -hmm. One of the best things I remember one of our experts, actually multiple of our experts have said is that like, just because you have a fantasy doesn't actually mean you want it to leave your head. And Mm -hmm. that felt like an open door in a way, at least for me, because I'm like, I feel bad because I think about these things and it's interesting to talk about with a partner, but like, please don't ever try to do it. And, or like, I want to watch it, but I will never want to try it in person or in real life. And so I think it could just be a very good opportunity for like, you're saying a conversation around interests, fantasies, kinks, um, and actually what is happening in the bedroom. And it can be scary to have feelings Mm -hmm. and be interested in something when it feels like it's a bad thing and like you're wrong for wanting it, especially because that's definitely not something we're talking about in schools and in sex ed is like your fantasies (laughs) are healthy and okay. And as long as you're not hurting anyone and it's consensual and all of that. But like, that's definitely not the kind of conversation we're having. And I've definitely felt horrible about myself at times in my life and just Mm -hmm. like, it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Like, look at this filthy mind. I totally feel that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think like also we aren't really taught that like these things might shift and change over time and like what we want to experiment with like might alter and it's okay to tell your partner that, right? And it's okay to not. Like if you want to keep that for yourself like there's no rule in a rule book that says like oh everything that enters your brain you're being dishonest if you don't tell your partner like if you want to experience that with your partner then go for it but if you'd rather keep some of that for yourself then that's okay mm-hmm. that's definitely changed for me over time is my my interest and in what I think my interests would be and that has been um Cass, don't smile like that. (laughs) Expansive. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's been interesting. And so, again, like you're saying, talking about how they can change and shift over time, and that's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Totally. She's trying so hard not to laugh. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so next question we have is centered around pain during uh sex and so why does it hurt when i have sex and is it normal to experience pain and i think this is a question at least i had in my very first experiences with sex and i had no idea sex wasn't supposed to hurt for me Cass and i have both talked about this like sex hurt until we realized that it could be pleasurable and that it totally. you know so i guess we can jump off from there Yeah. And I just want to echo that, you know, I, my first time was definitely, yeah, painful. Didn't really even learn that it couldn't be on. I've had like experiences with painful sex on and off from hormonal birth control. Like that can definitely happen to some people. So just want to like echo that while it's common, it's not normal. So it's important to talk about why and what that means. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I use uh, the Mayo Clinic as a source here. So if you're interested, feel free to Google painful intercourse Mayo Clinic. And I'm sure you can read uh, from the same article that I'm gathering this information from. But painful intercourse can happen for a lot of reasons. And it's sometimes really hard to figure out what exactly is going on. Uh, So know, again, that if that has happened to you, that you're not alone. And it could just take a couple of experiences with medical providers and a couple of different things that you can try to try to aid that. Um, And many women and people with vulvas have painful intercourse at some point in their lives, um, even though it's not normal. But the medical term for painful intercourse is dyspareunia, and that's defined as persistent or recurrent genital pain that occurs just before, during, or after sex. And so The first and foremost thing is that you should talk to your medical provider, get an exam, chat with them about your symptoms, tell them when it's happening and what that experience is like and see what they say. It's really important that you get 
to a medical team sooner than later if this is something you've been experiencing, just so you can see what they say um, and what the treatments are. So some of the symptoms are, you know, it could be pain at the entry of penetration, pain with every penetration, including putting a finger or a tampon up the vagina, deep pain with thrusting, burning pain or aching, throbbing after intercourse, and uh, you know, treating the problem can really, really be incredible if it's, of course, if it stops the pain, right? And so some potential causes could be that there's not enough lubrication. So it's really, really important to pick a lube that works best with you. I always, always recommend Uber Lube. They are one of my sponsors, but it's pretty much the only lube that I personally use. So if you want to try a really high quality, body safe, doctor recommended silicone based lube, I highly recommend Uber Lube. And other than lubrication, say your lube dried up and it's still hurting, um, there can be things such as injury or trauma or irritation. There can be inflammation. There can be a skin disorder. You could potentially have vaginismus, which are involuntary spasms of the muscles of the vaginal wall, which can make penetration very painful. Um, and you know, with deep pain, that can come from certain illnesses or conditions or medical treatments. And then finally, what I want to say is sometimes we don't really talk about this, but Vaginal pain could definitely be an emotional thing. It could be from a psychological issue such as anxiety or depression or uh, overwhelmingness about your relationship or just general kind of like nervousness about your, your level of pain in your partnership. It could come from stress, from your pelvic floor tightening. Uh, and it can also come from a history of sexual abuse. Um, not everyone with dyspruenia has a history of sexual abuse, but if you have been abused sexually, it definitely can play a role. Um, and so it's just really important. I just want to emphasize like your medical team will know more than us just talking about this on a podcast, but you just again, know that like, you're not alone. You're going to do what you can to try to make it less painful and it's just sometimes helpful to know that other people who have experienced this, uh, it can shift and change over time. And if you do find what it is, or if you find that it's a mental health concern or a physical concern, or it's a lube concern or what have you, whatever you can do to continue to replicate that fix so that it doesn't happen in the future is really, really important. Mm -hmm. In terms of the first time you have sex, so... I remember it always being talked about, like, it's going to hurt. You're going to bleed. Like, just be prepared for it to hurt. Oh my God. So should it not hurt if you are doing the things to, like, take care of yourself, like using enough lubrication and, like, going at your own pace and, like, all of those kinds of things? Theoretically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I think, like, you know, in, like, straight cis relationships, right, we just kind of go off of what we see in the movies, which is just like, oh, he's just going to, like, put his dick in and like, that's it. And like, whatever. But really, we really should be talking about like, hey, let's talk about like, the fact that on average, it takes a person with a vulva like 20 minutes to get in the mood. Like, maybe we should talk about fingering and taking your time and oral and like all these ways to increase arousal and and, and lubrication using actual lube going really, really slowly, like maybe it'll feel uncomfortable. Maybe it'll feel kind of like when you hear like, oh, what should a tampon feel like? It's like, oh, I feel like something's in there. But like, if you're putting a tampon in correctly, it shouldn't hurt while it's in. Um, it should just feel like maybe something's in there, right? Um, or maybe nothing, depending on how you feel. But yeah, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't hurt intercourse. And I think like the more and more we do talk about masturbation and we do encourage young people, especially young women and people with vulvas, like, hey, like you don't need to do that. <laughs> like you can, I mean, that kind of goes into our mm -hmm. last question, right? About how to like de, you know, prioritize thinking that penetration is like the way, the only way to have sex. Mm -hmm. Let's get into decentering penetration in sex because a lot mm -hmm. of our listeners wrote in that that was the only thing that their sex ed talked about if they talked about any sort of sexual interaction at all, um, was penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to this. I think first and foremost, it's important to mention 
who are we leaving out if we're only talking about penetrative sex? Like we're not talking about queer sex. We're not talking about ways that other people like to enjoy sex without a penis or without penetration. And so I think it's really important to to think about that and to think about queer inclusiveness. And let's just look at the stats. Let's look at the orgasm gap. Because if we start there and we, uh, for those of you who don't know, the orgasm gap is a statistical disparity uh, between the amount of orgasms that cis women and cis men have during penetrative sex. Roughly, uh, there was a study on this, and roughly, if you know a straight couple has sex a hundred times, the cis man will orgasm ninety-five times, and the cis woman will orgasm sixty-five times. And so, it's larger than the wage gap. So, I think it's important that we mention as well that within that gap, lesbians orgasm more than cis women. I believe it's like in the eighties percent. Uh, Gay men orgasm more than cis women, also I believe in the 80s percent, and uh, bisexual men also. The only other category of women that orgasm just as little as cis cis straight women is cis bi women. So the common denominator here is having sex with a cis straight man. (laughs) And what that usually means is that women, cis women, or, you know, cis straight women or cis bi women in this example, they're not coming from penetrative sex alone. Roughly 75% of people with vulvas need or desire clitoral stimulation in order to reach orgasm. And that usually doesn't happen from penetration alone. So we really need to think through how can we include the hands? How can we include the mouth? How can we include a toy? to really get the woman or the person with a vulva to orgasm. And that all doesn't have to do just with penetration. So the more and more we recognize like, oh, how can we get the butthole involved? How can we play with the nipples? How can we think about kissing and touching as like all part of sex rather than just thinking that as foreplay, foreplay, like, oh, penetration is the, you know, the peak because maybe for the cis man it is, but thinking through how can we, as Dr. Lori Mintz calls it, turn-taking. How can we do turn-taking where maybe, okay, maybe we'll start with penetration and maybe, you know, if we're talking about a cis straight couple, maybe the guy will come inside of her if that's what he wants, but how are we going to get her afterwards? Or how can we start with getting her off, right? And so it's all about kind of figuring out how to take those turns and recognize what feels best for the other person. And if that's not penetration, then what does that look like for everybody involved? Mm-hmm. There you go. The, the numbers are are so interesting. Yeah. I love the crux of what it, this boils down to. It's like penetrative sex is actually not it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not all of it. And yeah. um, I think another thing that I reframed as we started this podcast was how widely sex can be defined, you know, when we're talking about oral sex, we're talking about hand sex and totally decentering penetrative sex from like what it means to have like a successful sex session. Like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but it's, it's just like when, what qualifies yeah, as, sex. As, as having had sex with someone or had good sex it's like that maybe that just means we had oral and like that is great sex and it totally decenters from the standard of what hooking up or having sex would have meant yeah i think that the more we get used to thinking of sex as this big cloud of things rather than this one lane of what that could be, mm-hmm. then we are more likely to feel better about the kinds of good sex that mm-hmm. we're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want. We want to feel validated about the sex we're having, man. We should. Yeah. We should. Sex should fe- be fun mm-hmm. if that's what you want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for answering all of these questions. I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours because of all of the knowledge gaps that we were left with. Um, But Mm -hmm. for now, where Mm -hmm. can our listeners continue connecting with you after this episode? 
Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun and I can't wait to continue chatting with you all, uh, you know, through maybe some other collabs that we can do, but you can listen to Sex Ed with DB wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Sex Ed with DB. Those are my initials. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Sex Ed with DB Podcast, on TikTok and Twitter at Sex Ed with DB, on Facebook at Ed with DB, and on YouTube also at Sex Ed with DB. Uh, and you can check us out at sexedwithdb.com. Uh, we are starting our season eight season. Uh, on Wednesday, April 26th. So feel free to listen every Wednesday. And we also have amazing bonus episodes coming out every Friday with my friend Mariah from Sex Ed Files. And you can check those out through Sex Ed with DB, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think okay i'll do one okay you do yours jürgen's gonna be so confused because he can't even hear anything <laughs> Nay! <laughs> it was a little human i'll give it that it wasn't as animalistic as it was in my head <laughs> just said nay like you were falling downstairs <laughs> it wasn't as it, it, Equineal. Equestric. Equine. Yeah, it wasn't quite as equestric as um, (laughs) it felt in my heart or my soul or my my hyoni, but it was my best shot. It was better than mine. You do another. I can only, I wonder if I could do just like the, that was good. That was good. That was That was was like a good size for a horse. very equine. Yeah, that was equestric. I'll give myself that. Yeah, um, hella equestric. <laughs> I thought you said Coachella equestric. <laughs> Maybe a little like bit a of horse a- straight out of Cella. <laughs> <laughs> so not a horse at all. Um, <laughs> thank you, Danielle, for being on the podcast today. You're a gem, and uh, we really appreciate you fielding all of these questions for us. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out as you do every single week. If you want to thank us, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. Obviously, if this is going to be the episode that gets you to leave a written review, you're going to leave a horse emoji. We didn't do those nays for nothing. Um, You can also rate us on Spotify. Uh, Name some names of people who should be leaving reviews if they have not already. Oh, okay. Horse girls. Sarah. Rebecca. Samantha. Samantha, Rebecca Lauren, uh, and if we're gonna mm. go for guys, guy names, Travis, Randy. <laughs> I and love the name Randy. I know I like the name Randy. Uh, name. Like if I were to have a girl too, I think that's really cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so those are the names I'm throwing out, and you guys better leave reviews because we check them. Yeah. Hashtag nay for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that tattooed. (laughs) Um, So on that note, uh, we love to see it and we'll uh, kiss you next week. (laughs) I don't know. You missed. Well, okay. Ready? One, one, two, three. (laughs) On my end, it's perfect timing. Every single time. Okay. Okay.